We return to the book of Jude, and um, this morning we're going to read all the verses. Jude from verse 1 to 25. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal change under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulge in sexual immorality, and pursued unnatural desire serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet, in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them! For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error, and they perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires, they are loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, 
waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Saviour, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority, before all time, and now, and forever. Amen. Our text this morning is verse 3, and the title of the sermon is, Contend for the Faith. In 2009, the priest Patrick Kennedy was sacked from the Catholic Church in Brisbane after 28 years of service. He wasn't sacked because of any sexual impropriety, as one would in these times so easily assume, but for his beliefs. You see, he was proclaiming things and also allowing things that were unscriptural. And his leadership team went along with that. In fact, as the ABC reported at the time, they were solidly behind him. And taking a number of members with him, Kennedy and his leadership team set up a new church just meters away from the one from which he'd been expelled. And they continued their practices and proclamations. In an article last year, Kennedy is quoted as saying, I don't believe in the Catholic Church or even the Christian faith. For me, I think it's really all about justice. For the people leading this church, it is about being progressive and finding your own truth rather than following God's commandments. Now, I certainly don't support the doctrine of the Catholic Church, but when I hear a story like this, I can't help but thinking about how Paul warned Timothy about how there will be false teachers in the church and how people will not seek to hear the truth preached. And this is what Jude writes about as well in his letter to his fellow believers. He writes to warn them of the danger and to instruct them on how to handle that danger. They to stand up and fight for what's right. Or in Jude's words, they are to contend for the faith. He starts by urging them in verse 3 to go into battle for the faith. In verses 4 to 16, he gives them the reason for his appeal. And in verses 17 to 23, he tells them how they are to do it. So in verse 3, there's the command to contend. Then the reason to contend in verses 4 to 16. And the way to contend in verses 17 to 23. Before we listen again to verse 3, Let's just remind ourselves of who Jude is. As we saw a few weeks ago in verses 1 and 2, Jude is the half-brother of Jesus. And because of who he is, he has authority to speak into his readers' lives. But there's also something special about what Jude says he is. He is a servant of Jesus Christ. He's not ashamed to call himself a servant, or more correctly, a slave of Christ, because his priority is serving his master. And he's writing to his readers because he wants them to understand what their priorities ought to be. He wants them to understand that they and their priorities need to be shaped by who they are in Christ. And based on the content of the letter, 
it's clear that Jude is writing to a church or group of churches where there are false teachers. That's why this passage is sometimes described as a warning against apostasy. And that's true for it is a warning against godless people. But it's also very much a call to stand up for the faith and to defend it vigorously. Verse 3 then gives us the theme of this passage. So let's listen to it again. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Jude was eagerly anticipating writing to these churches about the salvation that they all shared, the salvation that they as believers received through faith in Christ alone. The King James Bible implies that he was already engaged in that work, but whether he'd already started or not, something happened that caused him to urgently write about the crisis situation that existed in these churches. So what is it that Jude is urging his readers to do? What does it mean when he says they are to contend for the faith? Earlier I used the words stand up for and defend and fight for, And all of those are good descriptions, but they also fall a bit short. The word that's used in the original text has the meaning of struggling for, to exert intense effort on behalf of something. It has to do with going into battle willingly and energetically rather than lackadaisically or unenthusiastically. In other words, it has to do with giving your all for a particular purpose. Now, some of you may remember the group The Platters. In the 1950s, they had a hit song called The Great Pretender. But that's not what Jude is calling his readers to be. He's calling each and every believer to be the great contender. He's calling every believer to get up and enthusiastically and with intense effort go into battle. But what battle? What is that believer to contend for? The answer is given in verse 3. The faith. But what is this faith? The simple answer is that it has to do with believing in Christ and placing full confidence in Him. And in contrast with what is espoused by so many today, this means believing what Christ said about Himself when He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It means accepting and believing, as the writer to the Hebrews says, that Jesus came once for all to put away sin by sacrificing himself, and that he died to cover our sin once and for all. It means accepting and believing that there is only one door and one entry point to God's flock, Jesus Christ, the first and the last, the one who died but who is alive and lives forevermore. Brothers and sisters, the Christian faith is already in existence as a, as a settled and final body of saving truths. The Holy Spirit led the apostles into all truth, as John puts it, and, and it has been entrusted to all believers. And just like the completed work of Christ, it is complete. It does not need further revelation. It does not need further prophecy. Nothing needs to be added to it, and nothing must be subtracted from it. As Peter says, 
It is a lamp that shines in a dark place, and we must not only pay attention to it, but live by it. To illustrate, let me tell you a parable. Two girls were really good friends. Girl one gets married to a, well, a nice guy who comes from a rich family. And just before they go on their honeymoon, the newlywed girl comes to girl two and asks her to look after the diamond necklace that her new family, her new parents-in-law, gave her as a wedding gift. Sure thing, girl two says, no worries, mate. And girl two would make sure that she keeps the wedding gift safe because she really cares for a friend, right? But as girl one hands over the necklace, she tells her friend it's worth a million dollars. How much extra care would girl two have to take of it? She can't really just hide it under her clothing in the closet or or put it in a drawer, can she? She'd have to guard it zealously and with great loyalty. Well, folks, the precious faith which we've been blessed with is indescribably more valuable than even the greatest of jewels. We've been blessed and entrusted with a great and precious treasure, and we must safeguard it at all costs. Now we'll delve into the how-to of this safeguarding, this contending for the faith, when we get to the last part of our passage. But it's vital for us to know that this clarion call to contend for the faith is meant for each one of us today. It doesn't matter how, how mature we are in our faith or how young or not so young we are. Through the words of Jude, our Heavenly Father and Almighty God calls you and me, all of us, to be contenders. Now I'm reminded of one of the classic movie one-liners that comes from the film On the Waterfront. A young Marlon Brando plays the role of the boxer Terry Malloy. After his brother convinces him to throw a fight, Malloy's career takes a nosedive, and when he eventually confronts his brother, he says, You don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. Friends, If you and I look at our lives now, are we contenders? I pray that when we look back at our lives, we don't have to say, I could have been a contender. So, verse 3 is an urgent call to arms, an urgent call to enthusiastically and boldly go into battle for the faith. In verse 4, Jude gives us the reason for the urgency. And in verses 5 to 16, he fleshes it out with examples. Now, we can spend more than one sermon looking at what each Old Testament example means, but the bottom line is given for us in verses 4, 8, and 16. These three verses tell us, Certain people have crept in unnoticed. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. These people also defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. They are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires, loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. What a description of what's happening in the church or churches to whom Jude is writing. No wonder this section is often titled, A Warning Against Apostasy. These people are taking advantage of God's grace. They're acting and living as if God has no authority in their lives. These loudmouth grumblers seek their own advantage. 
They follow their own sinful desires and exchanged sanctified living for sensuality. Verse 12 paints a, a vivid picture of how they defile the flesh by pursuing sexual immorality and unnatural desires. What a bunch of creeps these people are! Surely not in a church? But beloved, that's exactly where they are. They are, as Jude points out, the hidden reefs at the love feasts of the churches, like shepherds feeding themselves. And like hidden reefs in the sea, they injure and, and wound all those with whom they come into contact. And yes, in case you're wondering, this still happens in churches today. For example, a preacher who only preaches on the feel-good stuff because he knows that's what people like to hear, is guilty of denying the authority of God. Earlier this year, the Anglican Synod also denied God's authority by refusing to affirm the biblical view of marriage as being between one man and one woman. And this happens even in Reformed churches. After years of pointing out the Bible's teaching on this, the CRCA has recently and with great sadness had to cut out ties with two of our previous sister denominations in South Africa because of their reinterpretation of Scripture's commands on homosexuality. But it's not just to churches that this applies. Jude's focus is on those who teach God's Word, but the principles apply to how all of us live our lives. God's grace is often perverted by those who, quite rightly, proclaim that God is a God of love, but then they misapply that by saying, because God loves them, they can willfully go against what the Bible teaches. Like the faithless Cain, some follow the desires of the flesh, claiming to be Christ followers, but having extramarital relationships or living together without being married. Like the self-indulgent Balaam, some follow the greedy desires of their hearts. And like the rebellious Korah, these people deny God's authority over their lives. Beloved in Christ, we need to guard against all of these things. In all of these things, we need to contend for the faith as proclaimed in God's word. In the life of the church, this is one of the main responsibilities of sessions or church councils. But each one of us must be ready to jump into action to protect and to contend for the faith whenever and wherever we encounter false teaching. And of course that goes for our home lives too. Each and every day we are presented with an opportunity to live in the light of Christ. In everything we do or say we have a choice about how to act or how to speak. Each one of us can be, no, must be, a contender for the faith in our homes. As children, we contend for the faith by following God's instructions to obey and honor our parents, even when we cannot understand why they want us to do things in certain ways. But it also means that in humility, we must pull them up when they're not living in God-honoring ways either. As parents... We contend for the faith by showing our children where the world is going against the word of God. And we do this especially by being godly examples to them. And we must pull them up even when as adults 
they act contrary to God's revealed will by doing things such as living together. If we don't do that, we are not contending for the faith. As husbands and wives, we contend for the faith by how we submit to each other in love as to Christ. We contend for the faith by humbly and graciously being accountable to each other as God's word requires us to be. And folks, remember that to contend means to put strenuous effort into it. In our churches, in our homes, and in our work lives, we are to strenuously yet willingly contend for the faith. This is not for our sake, but for the sake of God's kingdom. What a great task we have, but also what a privilege it is to serve our amazing God in this way. So how do we prepare and enable ourselves to do all of this, this contending stuff? The answer is in verses 17 to 23. After reminding his readers that the, the last days will be characterized by ungodly people who, who do not have the Holy Spirit in them and who follow their own passions, Jude commands them in verses 20 to 21. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. The command that's at the center of all this is keep yourselves in the love of God. That's this building up, praying and waiting all flow from this. This is the imperative to the readers. Keep yourselves in the love of God. This is what will prepare, enable and strengthen those who are engaged in the glorious task of going into battle for the faith. You'll remember that in the first two verses of Jude, God's people are reminded that they called, they're beloved in God the Father, and they're kept for Jesus Christ. And folks, as believers in Christ, as people set apart by God, we are the promised bride of Christ. We are kept safe for the arrival of the bridegroom when we will celebrate with him that great wedding feast. And just like two people who get married keep themselves for the other to the exclusion of all others, so we too are to keep ourselves for Christ alone by submitting to him and by obeying him. We keep ourselves in the love of God by obeying his commandments. We keep ourselves in the love of God by intentionally staying away from things that will, that will draw us away from him. Things like who we choose to be friends with or places we go to or things we watch or that we listen to. We keep ourselves in the love of God by actively seeking his will in his word and in prayer. And as we do this, as we live this way, our faith is built up. It allows us to wait with patience on the Lord and it gives us the power and the courage to willingly step onto that battlefield. A picture of what keeping yourself in the love of God looks like is clearly evident in the preacher George Whitefield's final day. This was a man who would rather wear out than rust out in the service of his Lord. After preaching for a week in a particular area in late September 1770, his poor health finally caught up with him. Recognizing that he was too weak to continue, he set about returning home. By noon on Saturday the 29th, he reached the town of Exeter, 
Now, he hadn't planned on preaching there, but on arriving, he felt that he just couldn't not preach there, for an outdoor stage had been built, and and people were waiting to listen to him. Two hours later, he continued his journey, and, and that afternoon came to another town to find that the street in front of the house where he was to stay was filled with people begging him to preach. Despite his weariness, he stood on the landing, halfway up the stairs, candle in hand, preaching Christ. He was soon in his stride, and time seemed to stand still as he preached, until eventually the candle flickered, burned itself out, and died away. Whitefield went up to his room and died that same night. All the way to his death, he had kept himself in the love of God. He never perverted the gospel by by changing it to suit people's tastes. He did not deny Christ in his actions. He led a disciplined life, fleeing from the presence of sin. He continued for the faith until the candle of his life was extinguished. And as a result, on that night, he entered into the presence of God. Beloved in the Lord Jesus, may this be so for you and me too. Let us walk as children of the light by contending for the faith, for then we shall know the joy of Jesus. I say this to you in the name of our Lord and Saviour Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we praise you that you've called us, that you keep us, and that we are your beloved. Through your Holy Spirit, build us up, strengthen us in our faith, and Lord, Please enable and empower us to keep ourselves in your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.